why don't you go ahead and stand with me? We're going to start to transition to get ready for the uh, message. Um, we do not have Kid City today. I saw one family just got here. If you didn't see, we've got kid, we've got kid packets in there. So thanks for um, we'll, the, the full format. will be back to normal next week. Um, as a reminder of those who are here or introduction of those who are coming, we are going through the book of Matthew following the church calendar, um, uh, the lectionary. And so we're in Matthew 2. Um, so um, Katie, who's been part of our church for how long have you been here? 18 years, something like that. You've been here a long, long time as an elder now. We're so grateful to hear from Katie. So we're going to read this together, and then Katie will come up after that um, to help share a word for us as we get ready for the new year. So this is um, Matthew chapter 2. You can follow along as I read this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was distressed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Good morning. Happy New Year one more time. Um, It's so good to be with you all, both virtually and in person. Um, I hope over the last week you've had a chance to close out 2022, leave it behind, celebrate Jesus' birth, and take some time to reflect on the ways that you were able to see God show up in this past year. Um, Today we're looking at the story of the Magi and some of the different ways that God shows up through that story. Um, Before I launch in, will you guys pray with me? Uh, Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for new beginnings and for your presence. Uh, I pray that you would speak through me this morning and that you would give us ears to hear. I pray this all in your son's name. Amen. So the story of the Magi is one of those that, even if you didn't grow up in the church, you maybe heard the We Three Kings song or like saw a cute internet video about how a kid thought that they brought Frankenstein to Jesus instead of frankincense. Um, But it's one of those familiar stories. Um, But even with that, we've sort of filled in some details that maybe aren't entirely accurate. Um, And so maybe we we need to revisit the story. Over the last couple weeks, I've spent time studying it and found that I had had some details wrong. Um, So I want to tell you the story of the Magi as I now understand it. So Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Um, A little while after that, we don't know how long, but probably not days, probably more like months or maybe a year, some men from the east show up in Jerusalem. 
these are the Magi. There's not a lot that we concretely know about the wise men or the Magi. We know that they're foreigners. We know that they didn't come from Judea, that they likely weren't Jewish. Um, we know that the word that is used for Magi in Matthew is used later in Acts, and it's translated there into magician or sorcerer. Um, so based on that and sort of this idea of where they may have come from, that they came from the east, um, we can likely assume that they were some kind of astrologers and or astronomers, that they studied the night sky. Um, but beyond that, we don't know a ton. The song says they're kings. They may have been. The song says there were three of them. We think that's probably just because they brought three gifts, but we don't know. There may have been three. Um, <clears throat> what we know is that they were willing to follow a star, and they did. We also don't know a ton about that star. Um, astronomers have tried to explain it, and some think they've got answers, but it seems to me like the closer you look at it, the more it doesn't make sense. And so what I know about that star is that it was a gift from God to the Magi. It was meant to lead them to Jesus, to the King of the Jews, that it had supernatural power, supernatural intent. So we have these astronomers, astrologers, who study the night sky. They see a star that's a little bit different. And because they're people who study these things, they decide to follow the star. It's likely that they had access to some of the writings we now consider the Old Testament, that they had some of these books and letters that had been written, and so there's a prophecy that tells them that this star might mean that the king of the Jews has been born. And so they understood that signal and decided to follow the star to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place that makes the most sense for the king of the Jewish people to have been born. There's not a, a human messenger, an angelic messenger. Nobody comes and gives them the coordinates. <clears throat> they, nobody explains all the details to them. They just see this star, and they trust it enough to follow it. I'm pretty amazed by that. Uh, I'm a planner. Um, about a year and a half ago, my mom and I decided that we wanted to go visit my brother in California, and that the best way to do that at that time was to drive. I've always wanted to drive Route 66. It has all these quirky stops along the way, and I thought that sounded very fun. And so my sweet mom, very patient with me as I made the most detailed spreadsheet any human has ever needed to make for a five-day road trip where we had phones. Um, my spreadsheet had all of the possible stops, not just the ones we decided on. I needed to give her options. Uh, it had the, the address, the distance from the previous stop. It had links to all of those websites, so again, she could read them. I don't think she did. But in case she wanted to learn more about the stops, they were there. Then I also made an individual custom Google map for each day of our trip. Again, just in case, just in case we needed it. That's what I thought I needed for a five-day road trip. The Magi's journey was much further, and you're telling me they just saw a star and decided to follow it. But then I remembered, and as I studied, um, realized the stars are what the Magi knew. This wasn't the first time they'd used the sky to figure out where they were going. The stars were their Google Maps. God used something that was already a part of their everyday life, something that they already used to communicate. He took that and used it to tell them something new, to tell them where to go and when. So back to our story. They get to Jerusalem, and they start asking around about, where's the king of the Jews? Where can he be found? Uh, and this makes its way all the way up to King Herod. Now, King Herod, he was known as Herod the Great, but I would not consider him a great king. Uh, he was not very kind. He was not very magnanimous. He wasn't looking out for his people. He was easily threatened, um, constantly uh, in a rage, 
and he had no problem killing anyone he saw as a threat, including his own wife and his own sons. So not, not a nice guy, not somebody I'd want to follow. So <clears throat> when King Herod hears the news that men are there looking for the king of the Jews, of course, he gets troubled. He's upset, he's threatened, and when he's upset, all of Jerusalem has to be upset with him. So he calls together kind of his, his, uh, his top guys, the chief priests and the scribes, and he asks them, where is Christ? Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? What do we know about this? I have a lot of compassion for the chief priests and scribes. As I read through the Gospels, I often find that I relate to them more than I'd like to admit. These guys, they're the ones that have studied. They know their stuff. They've spent time in scripture. They've spent time reading through these prophecies. Um, they know every rule. They know every sign. And yet, when Jesus actually comes, they miss it. There are some reasons that the chief priests might have missed it, right? Again, we've got King Herod. He's the worst. And there might be some fear in acknowledging that another king has been born. Um, they have, again, they know, they know all of the rules. They know all of the signs. So maybe there's just a little bit too much going on in their brains for them to pay attention. But they hear the Magi saying that they're following a star to find the king of the Jews. And again, the religious officials, they should have known that these are the signs. These are events that have been prophesied. But instead of rejoicing and joining the Magi on their journey, they get caught up in their own formalities, in their own plans, in their own comfort, their own fear maybe, and miss it. They miss the opportunity to go and worship the Messiah, the one that they've been waiting for. How often do we miss the everyday ways that God's trying to talk to us because we think we know better, because we feel nervous or fearful, because we might have to get a little uncomfortable to follow it. God uses a star to summon the Magi to Jesus because while a star seems a little bit mysterious and magical to me, it's what they knew. It was miraculously commonplace. This was a moment in their everyday life. It was something they used over and over again. Sure, this star was a little bit different. It was in the night sky new. Um, and the journey they went on was not comfortable. It wasn't easy. But again, the way they were called to that journey, while supernatural, was also kind of commonplace. A couple chapters later in Matthew, um, Jesus is walking along the shore of Lake Galilee, and he calls to a couple fishermen, telling them to follow, them, to follow him, and he'll teach them how to be fishers of men. He doesn't say, follow me, and I'll teach you how to manage a crowd and how to um, stand up to corrupt officials and preach the good news. That might be a little too much in that moment. He knows them. God created them, and he created them for a purpose, and Jesus knows that. And so he uses what they know, being fishermen, being able to catch things, and says, follow me, and I'll help you be fishers of men. Time and time again in the Gospels, we hear parables and stories where Jesus is using everyday things, the things that the people he's talking about would have known so well, to teach them something new and draw people to him. I think sometimes we miss the ways that God's using us because they're so commonplace because we don't see that the things that just come naturally to us don't come naturally to everyone. That we haven't been given all the same gifts and we have to use the ones we've been given. We miss that we've been given the opportunity to follow because we're waiting for some big flashy sign and we miss the simple voice of God. Being up here right now for me is one of those opportunities that I almost missed. Um, 
I, I don't really know how to explain to you how much I just didn't want to do this. Um, it wasn't in my plan for my winter break. Uh, I thought I had some really good reasons, to be honest. Uh, it's been kind of a long year. I work at a high school. The fall's very busy. Um, I was going to be traveling for half of the break. Um, and I was just looking forward to having like some quiet days at home with nothing to do, some TV to watch, and just being calm. Beyond that, I just sort of felt like I had like maybe two brain cells left, and I didn't know that I had like the gumption to pull together anything that was worthwhile for somebody else to hear. But then God used the patience and kind persistence of Pastor Daniel uh, and the gentleness of some of my friends and family to make it clear to me that I was getting in my own way, that I was putting my own comfort, my own plans before his. Uh, as I talked to some of my like, most trusted people about the opportunity, I was always very quick to be like, well, this isn't a great idea, but somebody said, this is a thing I might be able to do, but I don't really think I should, and I would give my litany of reasons of why I just needed to have a break. And time after time, my friends came back to me with such gentleness. Uh, not a single one said, Katie, please stop being dumb. Not a single one said, this is a terrible idea. They all listened. They asked me some questions. Um, they were encouraging, but also let me off the hook. Consistently said, I mean, I think it could be great, but also if it's not the right time, that's okay. I think I was hoping for a lightning strike in those conversations, for somebody to tell me that I was being stupid or that it was a terrible idea. But instead, what I got was the steadiness of a, scar a star. That night after night, conversation after conversation, these people were reminding me that God is using each of us and that this was an opportunity for me to take. The process of writing and preparing this hasn't been easy. Um, it's been a little nerve-wracking. Put me in front of 100 students and I'm fine, but 10 adults, I get very nervous. Um, and it made my winter break a little less relaxing. That was true. But it's also been an amazing opportunity. It's been a chance to trust God and to dig into a story that I've overlooked. And it made me go back to a prayer that my human heart has to pray over and over again, Lord, make me willing. God sent a message to both the Magi and the chief priests in language that they were both familiar with, but only the Magi were willing to follow that message. They saw the sign and they followed it, even though it took them out of their comfort zone and into some big unknowns. So while the religious officials missed this bigger picture, they are key to the story because they give King Herod some key information. Um, they share the prophecy that lets King Herod know that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. King Herod shares that with the Magi while nailing down some information he'll need to be awful later. Um, and then he makes sure that he learns from the Magi when the star was first seen. Um, then King Herod tells the Magi, go find the child, worship him, and then come back to me and report back so that I can go worship him too. Um, and I just have to imagine that King Herod like, has his like, fingers crossed behind his back as he's saying it, or he's like, wink, wink, because King Herod is not a man that ever intended to worship anyone or anything but himself. So, so the Magi leave Jerusalem, they head to Bethlehem, and they are overjoyed when they see the star stop over a home. They go inside, and they meet Mary and Jesus. This is not a palace. This is not a place where you'd usually find a king, just a simple home. And they find the king of the Jews in this place that seems so unlikely for a king. But again, the Magi, they're not bothered by that. 
They, they don't have the same religious pedigree, the same Jewish history that um, those religious leaders did. But instead of being stopped by this simple, commonplace thing, this just being a, a child and his mother, they bow down and worship Jesus. They let, give him lavish gifts fit for a king. I think it would have been really easy for the Magi to show up and be disappointed, right? It would have been very easy for them to be like, we just risked our lives, we traveled across a desert, and this is a kid. What are we doing? But instead, they continue to be able to see the supernatural in the things that might seem very ordinary. And then they continue to be people that pay attention. They're warned in a dream not to go back to King Herod. Maybe they saw him winking while he was telling them to come back. Um, but they head a different way home. I think there's a beautiful allegory and reminder in that. When we choose to follow God's lead, when we're willing to listen to his call on our life, it's often going to open up a new path or change for us to have a different way of living. As we head into this next year, how can we be more like the Magi? How can we watch for what God is telling us through these channels that may seem ordinary or mundane, through the talents and the knowledge we already have that we might be tempted to downplay or overlook? Where do we need to ask God to make us willing to hear and see him? When I think about the difference between the Magi and King Herod and his officials, um, I think that there's a matter of focus, of being able to quiet all of the noisiness and all of the busyness to see what God is doing. The Magi, they see this special star, they follow the night sky, they understand that, and so they follow the night sky to meet Jesus. And when they get there, they rejoice. They're not caught up in the changing circumstances or um, doubt or all of those kinds of things. They make room to listen, and they're obedient. The chief priests, on the other hand, are lost in the noise. They know what all of the signs are. They know what the signals should be. But instead of being able to see them, uh, they're paying attention to maybe Herod's the worst, to their own agendas, to their own hope for comfort or safety. Um, it makes me think of a, start, a, a part of the story of Elijah um, in 1 Kings. There's a lot more to the story of Elijah, but in this section, Elijah has been through it. Um, it has been a rough, a rough go, and he's discouraged, he's exhausted, and he's ready to just fully give up. And he's in this kind of conversation with God, and God tells him to go stand on a mountain in the presence of the Lord and wait for God to pass by. So Elijah goes to the mountain, and a windstorm comes blowing through, and it tears the mountain apart, and there's chaos all around him. But the Lord wasn't in that windstorm. Then an earthquake comes, and it shakes the ground all around him, and again, the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there's a fire. So there's a fire raging all around him, but the Lord isn't in the, in the fire. Instead, the Lord came to him in a still, small voice, a gentle whisper. And in that still, small voice, the Lord didn't make some grand proclamation. He continued their conversation. He asked, what are you doing here? Are you able to hear the still, small voice? Are you missing it in the windstorms and the earthquakes and the fires? Do you notice the steady stars? Or are you like me? You're waiting for a lightning bolt and missing those everyday things that God's using to communicate with us. When you look back at the last month, the last year, where do you see God moving? Hindsight always seems easier to me to be able to see those things, but it's also telling for what we can see looking forward. Where was God talking to you last month? He's probably going to talk to you that way next month. 
Who are your trusted folks and where are they gently nudging you in the right direction? What are you learning as you study scripture or maybe you're listening to a lot of podcasts or reading new books? Where are you hearing that still small voice of God? When you spend time in prayer or maybe you're a journaler, what are the same themes and ideas that are coming up time and time again? Could those be God's small voice? What are the skills that you've had for a long time and have been hesitant to use? What are the things that maybe you've taken for granted that you've just always done that God's calling you to use for him this year? Are there habits or practices that you might need to either pick up or stop doing to make space for that uh, opportunity to hear from God? As you think about this next year, this natural restart that happens when we open a new calendar, I want to challenge us to think about how we can make a space and quiet the noise so that we can hear God and see God in the world around us and find our willingness to listen. Don't let yourself get caught up in what you don't know or in what you think you should be doing. Instead, open yourself up to what God has to show you through the people and events in your everyday lives. Because he's here. He's with us and he's guiding us. We just have to have the willingness to engage with him. Will you guys pray with me? Lord, make us willing. Help us to be more like the Magi willing to follow the signs that you're leaving for us each and every day. Give us open hearts and give us open eyes uh, so that we can see and trust you, so that we can know your voice and hear it even when the world is noisy. Help us to find ways to quiet that noisy world around us so that we can hear you. Pray this all in your son's name. Amen. That was a good word, wasn't it? It's a, um, I think that's one of those just central, core kinds of uh, how Jesus talked about it in John 10 when he describes himself as the good shepherd. And he simply says, my sheep know my voice. I know my sheep and my sheep know my, me. Um, I think it's wild. Jesus says, they can differentiate my voice from the voice of a shepherd who comes to harm them. And so this word for the magi was a star, for the, ship, for the fishermen it was fish, but trusting that the God of the universe loves you, sees you, knows you, wants to speak to you. Um, what, a, what a way for us to kind of position and posture ourselves for the new year, right? All right, we're going to get ready to respond to that with the gift of communion. And so virtually, hopefully you've got your elements ready. If you're here, why don't you go ahead and stand up? And we still think it's valuable to kind of move around and do this together. So um, for part one, just simply come get the elements. You can, there's a table here, a table there. Uh, come up and there's the brown circle things have the cup in it. And then there's a plate of bread. And so just kind of as the music's playing in the background, go ahead and grab the elements. Don't take them yet. We'll receive them together. But you can just come on each side, grab the elements. And then when we're back in seats, we'll receive it together. So come on up and grab the elements if you would.
seeing as we'll be in the book of Matthew here for a bit together. Let's uh, listen to Jesus explain communion to his disciples in the account of Matthew. This is Matthew 26. So let's first concentrate on the bread. And Jesus says, Matthew 26, 26, while the disciples were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. So you kind of in your own way, just take a couple of seconds to give thanks as the disciples originally did at the first communion. So let's just take a, just a brief moment, your own words, um, say thanks to God for the way that this bread forgives, heals, renews, makes us new. Take a moment just to say thanks in your own way. Jesus handing it to this to us as a symbol of that. And Jesus says, receive this as my body. Take this as my body. Let's eat this together. Then Jesus took the cup and again he gave thanks. So we're going to do that again. And after giving thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured away, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So again, it's really been striking me lately that Jesus did a short prayer of thankfulness before receiving each element. And so Jesus says the, this is the symbol of forgiveness for us, among many other things. We just take a moment and in your own way again, say thank you to God for the shedding of the blood of Jesus so that we know that we can be fully forgiven, fully made whole. See this as a gift together, as a symbol of the forgiveness of God. Well, that's a good way to start off 2023, isn't it? Receive the gift of the Lord's body and flesh, fullness of himself for us. So let us now respond in worship and uh, positioning ourselves for following God, listening to God as we head into the new year. benediction. As we head out into this new year, into this next year, may God give us willing hearts to see um, and hear and know him in the ordinary, everyday things, that we would see him in our family, in our friends, that we would see him each day.